Okay, thank you all for joining us. This is a very special um, pre-Shavuos senior koilul. Rabbi Greenblatt doesn't really need an introduction. All I'll say, though, is that we know that the, I think the Shla writes that a Rav or a Rebbe is given all Shefa, all bounty in wisdom and in knowledge that their students need to receive. And Rabbi Greenblatt, to have to bring the Rav here for close to 40 years, right, 37 years or so, has been the one who has guided the community, built up the Aguda, built up the Kailul, he's also the Rosh Kailul Emeritus, and it's something that we recognize and appreciate and value. Um, and the final thing is that we know that everything goes after the leader. Moshe Rabbeinu was equal to all of Klal Yisrael because he was their leader. And it's something that we recognize in Rabbi Greenblatt and appreciate that he's not an individual. He's someone who's the Rav of the community and who's someone who is thinking about each and every individual in the community. Um, and we appreciate him giving his time, especially it's a busy season. But um, we appreciate him coming and offering some different physics. When I listened to Rabbi Berkowitz's introduction, I'm reminded of, um, of a time, I don't know, I, it's got to be close to 30 years ago, that I was invited to introduce Rabbi Berkowitz's grandfather, Rabbi Shmuel Kamenetsky, as he spoke at a Kuda convention in New Jersey. It was a Thursday afternoon session, and, uh, and I had to introduce Rabbi Shmuel Kamenetsky, and I thought, wow, you know, it's such an opportunity and such a schuss. And as I start with my introduction, he didn't even let me finish. He got up, he was on the dais, and he comes, and he says, okay, okay, you know. He, he, he didn't but I am not as humble as Rabbi Shmuel Kamenetsky, so I savored every word of that introduction. How is Rabbi Shmuel doing? Baruch Hashem, coming along. Yeah, okay. Okay. That's nice. Okay. So, uh, thank you, Rabbi Berkowitz, for the kind introduction, and also for inviting me to uh, address uh, this group before Shavuos. Um, so, it, I'll do anything for a free lunch, and... Uh, <laughs> It was delicious, whoever is responsible for that. Um, I, I have a handout here, because um, I think that if we see the words inside, it's a little bit easier to focus. Now, this week, uh, we begin the fourth book in the, uh, uh, of the Torah, the book of Numbers, Bamidbar. And this is the very first opening psukim of the Parsha. So... I'm sorry. It's the side where it's at side one, right? There's two. Okay. Vayidaber Hashem Moshe. Hashem speaks to Moshe in the Sinai Desert in the Tent of Meeting, the first day of the second month of the second year. So, this is approximately uh, a month, a year, and a month after they left Egypt, and um, the Chumash is going to proceed with the counting of the Jewish people, the census, the census is taken. And Rashi comments, let's look at Rashi's commentary, because the Jews are precious, 
before Hashem. He counts them all the time. <clears throat> now, what does this mean? He counts them all the time. It doesn't mean Hashem counts them every day. But we have a number of events that are linked with the counting of the Jewish people. After they left Mitzrayim, they were counted. And that is in the Parsha of Bo, in the book of Exodus. They were counted when they left Mitzrayim. That makes sense. They're becoming a nation. They're leaving Mitzrayim. People had died in Mitzrayim. And now, at the formation of the nation of Klai Yisrael, we want to know how many people there are. Then, several weeks later, they receive the Torah and then they sin by erecting the golden calf and the Hashem responds by punishing them and 3,000 Jews died. So when they fell because of the sin of the golden calf, Man'an, Hashem counted them again, to know the, the number of those who remain. But it's also an act of love. Hashem wants to know how many we are. Right? You want to know how much. It's brought down that it's like a person counts money. Right? Sometimes you know how much you have. You just want to feel it again and again. And now what happened now is that the Mishkan, the tabernacle, was finally erected on Rosh Chodesh Nisan, the first day of the month of Nisan, which is approximately a year after they left Egypt, a year and two weeks, a year minus two weeks, and they were counted now, uh, he counted them on the first day of the month of Eir. So a month after the Mishkan was erected, Hashem counted them again uh, to know their number, but really because he loves them. Uh, just as an aside, the question could be asked, if the Mishkan of the Tabernacle was finally erected and Hashem's presence was felt on the first day of the month of Nisan, okay, why did Hashem wait an entire month to count them? If He loves them, the Shekhinah is there, so count them. This question is dealt with. And the Maharal, in his commentary, he says that Hashem wanted to wait 30 days until he takes up full residency in this Mishkan. Because 30 days is the amount of time that it's, it's temporary, it's not full. Uh, you might know this if you um, move into a new house, if you rent a house, I should say, if you rent a house uh, outside of Israel. In Eretz Israel, you have to put a mezuzah right away, but outside of Israel, you have 30 days. You're not considered as you're fully... Um, permanent in that residence in, until 30 days is over. So there's something that has to do with 30 days, and therefore once Hashem is there, He's established Himself as, as, it, as it is. He establishes Himself in the Mishkan. So at that point, now He wants to show His love for Klai Yisrael, and He counts them. Um, this is another uh, point I want to share with you. The middle of that Rashi, He says, after the Jews fell, following the sin of the golden calf, Hashem counted them to know the minyan hanosorim, the number of those who remained. Now, when you talk about remainder, usually you're talking about a few remain from a large group. As I just mentioned earlier, how many Jews perished following the sin of the golden calf? 3,000. 
How many did they number in total? 600,000. Well, 600,000 males from the age of 20. 3,000 out of 600,000 is what, 5%? Okay, so no, it is, no, it's a half, it's a, a half, of, half of a percent. So 99.5% of the Jews were there. They weren't unaffected. So Rashi refers to those who remained as the remainders, those who, the remnants. You know, we, we, we know that we, how many people survived the Holocaust. So Nebuch, six million or more died. And how many survived that ordeal? I don't know. Is it a million? So they, they're called the survivors because the bulk of the people that were in the concentration camps did perish. So you call them the remainder. But why are <laughs> 597,000 Jews called the remainders? And the answer is because every Jew is precious and every Jew is important and unique. And if one Jew is missing, so it affects the entire nation. So everybody else, the remainder, imagine a, a puzzle you work at one of these large puzzles and then you're missing uh, just two little pieces or even one piece, you know, it, it, you're not going to feel good about, about uh, displaying that. It's going to irk you. Where's that piece, right? So even if one Jew is missing, it renders everyone else the remainders because we're far from being whole. But I want to get to the point that I wanted to share with you and that is if Hashem wanted to demonstrate his love for us as he counted us three times. So these are events. Exodus of Egypt is an event. The golden calf is an event. The setting up of the sanctuary, the tabernacle, is an event. What is the obvious event that existed or that took place and he didn't count the Jewish people? What is the most obvious of the events that we would have thought should have brought about another census of Kal Yisrael? I would say the, the giving of the Torah. The, the, the greatest event in the history of mankind. The greatest event in the history of mankind is the giving of the Torah. So he wants to show his love. Uh, so count at that point. Uh, a number of answers are given. One of them was perhaps that the giving of the Torah itself is the greatest expression of love. So he doesn't have to count us to show his Ava. But that doesn't necessarily work because he did count them in conjunction with bringing his divine presence into the holy tabernacle. Isn't that an act of love as well? Hashem wants to uh, be with us. In fact, the measure says that Hashem is like a king who just gave his daughter away in marriage, and he says to his new son-in-law, you know, I really, she's your wife now, but I miss her so much. Can't you go ahead and just build a little room in your new house so when I want to come, I can just live there for a little while? So therefore, Hashem says, I want to live with Klai Yisrael, so build me a little place, and that's the tabernacle. Hashem wants to be with us. It's, it's, it's an expression of love, but yet he counted us, so that answer might not work. Um, I'd like to share perhaps two answers if time allows. The first answer is as follows. We know that there was a prerequisite that had to be achieved before 
God gave us the Torah. And that is the ultimate unity in Klal Yisrael. We've heard this before, that the Torah refers to the Jewish people in, the, in, the, in a plural sense, Vayachanu, and they camped here, and they traveled here, and so on and so forth. When they came to Mount Sinai, it doesn't say, and they camped at Mount Sinai. It says, Vayichan, in the singular tense, and he camped, or and it camped. Um, why is that? Because I'll tell us, and Rashi tells us as well, that they were keish echad, but leiv echad. They were like one person with one heart. This is in contrast to the station they were at before coming to Har Sinai, before Mount Sinai. They came to uh, a city called Rifidim, and uh, they were attacked by Amalek. There was disunity among the Jewish people. That was the city of Rifidim, and um, and the Mephoshim tell us that the word Rifidim, if you scramble the letters, you rearrange the letter, it's Predim. Predim means separate. Predim, Parud, they are separate. They were separate from one another. There was a lack of unity, right? We don't know what that is, lack of unity among Jews, do we, in our, in our lifetime, right? It's hard to get... It's hard to get uh, it's really hard to get uh, consensus on anything. Yeah, I don't know if you know this, but um, the, the, the Chumash was always in Lashon HaKadosh in Hebrew until Tommy Hamelef, the Greek king, took the 70 sages of the Jewish people. He wanted to translate it into Greek. So he put the 70 sages in different rooms and told each one, translate the Torah. And remarkably... They came out with the exact same translation. They weren't even off by a word. You translate a document, you would think that something might be expressed a little differently. But the miracle was that the 70 sages of Claudius Yisrael, they were exact in their translation, and there was not one discrepancy. And they were in 70 different rooms. And uh, the great sage Rabbi Hutner, once said, a bigger miracle would have been if they'd all be in the same room and still come out with that. <laughs> See if that would work out. So the, um, there was a lack of peace and the Medrash tells us that Hashem was waiting for peace to be achieved and only then he says, now that there's a peace among my people and there's a sense of unity... So they are one unit, and now I will give the Torah, because the Torah is unity. Um, we're taught that the Torah, God, and the Jewish people are all one. We are the essence of unity. God is obviously one. The Torah, unity. There's no discrepancies. Everything is perfect. And Klai Yisrael in its perfect state is also one. And therefore, God cannot give the Torah to the Jewish people until we became one. Um, it's very interesting, the, um, the oneness is something that is so integral to the Torah that it defies counting. You don't count something that's one. I say, count the books in my hand. You'll look at me like I'm a Meshuggah. 
I've got one book. It's not one, it's not a half, and that half is a half. One is one. The one was such a total one, it was so perfect in its unity that if God would count the people, it would draw attention to something that would be less than perfect, less than one. Because the mere fact that you are counting different units means you are relating to that entity, not as one entity, but 600,000 different parts. And therefore, when the Torah was given at that moment that the Jewish people exemplified the concept of achdus, unity, so they defied counting, so Hashem's greatest love for them was the fact that they can't be counted because they're just one. There's nothing to separate one from the other. So that is um, one of the, the, the concepts. Um, the Maral, in, his, in one of his many books, Teferis Yisrael, he says, um, why did the, Hashem not give the Torah to our patriarchs? As great as they were, Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, why did God not give them the Torah? He asks this question, why did he wait to give it to uh, the Jewish people? And he says that again, there is a equality or a comparison between the Torah itself and the Jewish people. That the Jewish people is eternal. The Jewish people is eternal. And that's only because we're a unit. But no individual, as great as he or she may be, is eternal. Avram Avinu, Abraham died. His neshama lives on. But as a unit, Avraham is not eternal. Yitzchak is not eternal. Yaakov is not eternal. The eternality of the Torah requires that its recipient is also eternal. And no one individual is eternal. But you know what is eternal? The enterprise called Qal Yisrael. The congregation of Israel. It's also known as Knesset Yisrael the assembly of Knesset Yisrael. We are all the same, and we never change. I'll give you an example, a halachic example. You know, a mikveh has to have 40, a certain amount of pure rainwater that had never gone into a vessel, right? So some mikvehs could be 50, 60, 70, 80, hundreds of years old. Anybody who was ever in Sfat in Israel knows that one of the main attractions um, is the city of the uh, Kubalim, of mystics, is the great Arizal had what you know, is known as the Arizal's mikveh. It's a, it's a cold spring, and uh, people go there because there's a skula associated with going to the Ariz mikveh. It is the coldest body of water that I've ever been in. You go in there, and you, your, your heart skips a beat. It does. <laughs> You've, but you got to do it, you know? <laughs> because it said, the Rizal, it said in the name of the Rizal that if, that if you go into that particular mikvah, you will not die without having repented first. <laughs> I felt myself repenting right then and there in that cold, in that cold water. Um, so, 
Do you think it's the same exact water that was there from the moment it was created? Or any mikveh at all? What happens is, is that as long as you have the basis of kosher mikveh water, you, some of it can move out, other new water comes in. As long as it's connected to any part of that original body of water, it becomes like the original water. And then some of the old water moves out, new water, water moves in, but that new water becomes part of a, of a kosher mikvah. So it's always going to be kosher. So that's what Kla Yisrael is. People come and people go, but Kla Yisrael itself, Knesset Yisrael, is all the same. I was once invited to speak uh, at my son's, um, when my son was a senior at Yeshiva Neri Yisrael in Baltimore, that's the yeshiva that I attended, and uh, they had an end-of-the-year event, and they invited me to speak to the, uh, to the high school. And I looked around, and, you know, and, I, um, and I saw that the Rosh Yeshiva of the Yeshiva at that time were not the same Rosh Yeshiva that I studied under. And they, unfortunately, have, have passed on. And it's a new generation of Rebbeim, of teachers and, and students. And, and I said, you know, I'm, I'm one of you. And I learned here, I graduated in the early 70s. I said, but we're really, I view yeshiva, no matter how many generations apart the students are, as a Knesset Yisrael type existence. That once you're a student in the yeshiva, so it doesn't make a difference that, that, the, that, that the generation, 50 years ago there were other people, but you keep on coming into the yeshiva and we're still all one. The alma mater of a yeshiva has a quasi-Knesset type feel. And um, that's really what Klai Yisrael is. So Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, as great as they were, but they are individuals. And the Torah has to be eternal. No individual is eternal. And that's precisely what Shavuos is all about. That's precisely what the giving of the Torah is. It was given to a unit that will always be that singular unit of Klai Yisrael. And we, were, we are always eternal. And it doesn't make a difference. Uh, people are born, different proclivities, different personalities. It's all a spice that makes the great Knesset Yisrael all that much more alluring because we add so much to the, to, to the body of Klai Yisrael. And therefore that really shows that this is why they weren't counted because counting them would kind of, it would, um, it, it would shine a light on their individuality. That wasn't a time for individuality. It was a time that we meld as one people. And that's what Klai Yisrael is, as we're, only, we're all one person. Ish echad belev echad. That is the, actually the defining feature of Klai Yisrael. And that's why it's so painful when when Jews can't get along, can't settle their differences, because precisely because of our unity, it's why we receive the Torah. And so uh, bickering and quarreling and fight, that doesn't mean that we all have to have the same opinion about everything. It doesn't have to, you don't, no. You, you all have to have my opinions, but you don't have to have <laughs> each other's opinions, right? So, but, but, but the point is, is that one can express opinions respectfully, but without degrading the individual, without you know, actually fighting about it. So, so that is a call. I think that Shavuos every year is a call to this sense of unity where we have to appreciate 
that because of this actus, that's why we receive the Torah, and that's why Torah, that's why Klai Yisrael received the Torah, because this is eternal. Knesset Yisrael will never change. Knesset Yisrael wants it. You know, on the, uh, on the flip side, on the negative side, the, the, the biggest anti-Semite, Hitler Yemach Shemo, right? He didn't care about the individual either. You could be the greatest Jew, you could be uh, the greatest rabbi, you could be the greatest Einstein. It didn't make a difference what your accomplishments were. He didn't see the Jews as individuals. He did see the Jews as one nation. But unfortunately, it was the flip side of what we're speaking about. He only wanted to see the, the negative parts of Kleisol, but, but he did see us as one, right? He didn't want to separate. We have to view ourselves as one in terms of of growing from one another and contributing to the very essence of Klai Yisrael. Um, and to that, maybe we could give a, perhaps another angle to answer the question. So we said that the reason why we weren't counted at Har Sinai is because that would spotlight our uh, separateness, but that's not what we want to do. On Shavuos, we want to speak about our oneness. Um, it could be suggested as well that if that nation, if Kleisel would have been counted at that time, one may be left with the erroneous um, uh, supposition that that generation are more obligated in the mitzvahs than we are. That was a great generation. They received the Torah and, uh, and they have a greater sense of duty and responsibility. And that's why they're being counted because there's special, something special. Now, let me be clear. They were special. They were great giants. They were called the Dordea, the generation of wisdom, of, of Torah giants. However, in terms of their obligation vis-a-vis God, they had no entree. In other words, they, 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 they did not enjoy any greater sense of responsibility and duty to God than you and I do. We are, had the same level of commandment that the greatest, than the greatest Jew did at the time that the Torah was given. All the same, not different at all. And it really ties into the fact, because we were all there, we are them. You know, by uh, the Pesach Seder we said not long ago, that when you're sitting at the Seder, Chayef Adam Liras Atzma, every Jew is obligated to view himself Ke'ilu, as if he left Mitzrayim. Ke'ilu means as if he left Mitzrayim. But in terms of standing at Har Sinai, it's not as if we stood at Har Sinai. You did stand at Har Sinai. You stood at Har Sinai. We were all there. Klai Yisrael as a collective body all stood there. And we were all the neshamas that were there together. We were there not in body, but in soul. And collectively, we were there. And, um, and, and if that generation would have been counted right then and there, we may have been left with the impression that they have a greater sense of responsibility to the Torah than we do. They do not. We have the exact same responsibility. Uh, I once heard a very interesting, <laughs> it sounds funny, but here's the marshal, here's the parable. I'll pick on Linda. No, I don't want to pick on Linda. I'll, 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 we'll, we'll call the Ruvain comes to Shimon for a loan. 
And Ruvain says to Shimon, can I borrow a thousand dollars? He says, sure. He says, what are the terms? He says, uh, I need that loan for a year. When Shimon, when Ruvain borrowed that money, he weighed 150 pounds. At the end of the year, something happened. He gained a lot of weight, and now he weighs 300 pounds. And Shimon comes through and he says, it's time to pay up your loan. He says, How much? He says, okay, here's 500. He says, where's the other 500? He says, I only owe you 500 because when I borrowed the money, I only weighed 150 pounds. <laughs> he says, now that I weigh 300, I mean, I, I only owe you half of, it's, I mean, the humor is, it's, I mean, it's obviously absurd because he's the same person. He's the same person, he just weighs more, or sometimes he weighs less, or sometimes he looks different. It's not, it's, we are mamish like we are that generation. We look different, it's thousands of years later, but we have to appreciate the fact that we are the neshamas the that stood on Harsinai. And we have the same sense of obligation. When you read the Chumash in this book of Midbar, so you have to understand that these are not far-off people. These aren't just like even great-great-great-grandparents, right? But we are in them, so to speak, and they're in us because collect- it happened, all of those things happen collectively to the body of Claudius. So it's difficult to understand that sometimes because... You know, we grew up in a, with a mindset that, you know, life starts with me and ends with me, you know, and I am for myself, and, but it's just not that way. If we can have a, some kind of a paradigm shift in our appreciation of who we are as Jews and to know that uh, we play a very unique role in the, um, the core neshamas, the core souls of Klai soul, which, which number 600,000, and we are them 3,500 years later, and therefore, there's no reason for them to be counted any more than there would be a reason for us to be counted today. Yes, there were other events that required counting. When they left Mitzrayim, they needed to know. Hashem wanted to love them and show them how many, what the beginning of the nation is, what is their population. And when some of them died, Hashem wanted to know who's left. And then another pivotal time in Klai when Hashem brought his Shekhinah into the sanctuary. It was a time to count. But the Torah itself, that defies counting because the Torah itself is given to a single unit and also to show that they're not unique in terms of their obligation to God. We're all in it together and uh, 3,500 years later, Hashem has the same expectation of us as he had of that holy generation. So, you know, sometimes if you know that there is an expectation, you live up to the expectation, uh, the, the struggle is that we don't necessarily feel that there's an expectation of us and, uh, because we're not used to produce. And uh, just, I'll get a little just contemporary, you know. It's uh, not always our students made aware of their possibilities and what they could accomplish in school and therefore they're not really uh, using all of their uh, emotional and mental uh, intellectual muscle because they feel that, you know, what can I accomplish? So if we appreciated the fact that the Torah gives us endless possibilities and how we could grow as people, how it could be a useful part of Klai Yisrael, I think we'll have a meaningful Shavuos holiday 
uh, next week. Shavuos is much more than just about eating cheesecake. <laughs> There's reasons why we eat cheesecake, but, but Shavuos is much more than that. It's to have a recognition of uh, how much Hashem loves us. He gave us the Torah. He loves us as much as he loved that generation, and we should live up to his expectations. Thank you very much for coming. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Um, yes. Is it our The answer is yes, but the only question is how you implement that. Because we all accept it upon ourselves. Arvus means guarantorship. Every Jew is a guarantor for his friend, but it's not so easy to know how to do that. And, and uh, you know, in terms of uh, how to go about the Chavetz Chaim writes that, uh, um, different personalities uh, uh, require different ways of dealing with them and acting with them and trying to persuade them. But the, the bottom line is yes. Uh, yes, there is a. Every Jew is accepted upon themselves guarantorship to make sure that uh, all of Kleisel functions. It's like your right hand, your left hand. You know, it's, it's it's that's we're all part of the same body, and uh, it's difficult to see that sometimes. But that's exactly what it is. Okay, thank you for coming. Everybody stay for dessert and we have cake and schmoozing. <laughs> 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 don't, don't make me put that cake on. <laughs>